All right, I like the spooky new theme. Good thinking. But hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Book Baby Spotlight Podcast. Your home for interviews with authors, illustrators, editors, and other industry insiders from the world of self-publishing. I'm your host, Sam Sadam, joined as always by my producer and colleague, Chad Inson. Hey, Sam. Happy to be here. This month, we are talking about scary, spooky, haunting, macabre, and what I've got to say is my favorite topic of the year. All Book Baby Spotlight seasons will have a horror episode. So here we are. Do you read a lot of horror, Sam? Not a ton, but I, I uh, did dive into both of our guest books and uh, some Stephen King when growing up, probably way too young in retrospect, uh, especially for some of the movies. What about you? I think my favorite horror flick is the Saw series. Okay. My, my favorite, yeah. There's like nine of them now, right? <laughs> I'll add them to my list before. Uh, I think I've seen the first couple, but... There's definitely more in that series I haven't seen. What I'm really enjoying so far is the covers that our designers are churning out for some of these books. They, uh, they tend to get really creative with the dark, gothic, horror aesthetics. Yeah, they for some great ads, too. That's right. I mean, what would be more compelling than blood splatters? I mean, I'm thinking the new display ads platform that we offer in particular. Yes, sir. We are pleased to announce a brand new product in our suite of promotional services here at BookBaby. We're now designing and running display ads. Chad, I know they're near and dear to your heart. So do you want to explain what a display ad is? Uh, essentially, what these display ads are is a partnership with Google that they do with businesses that allows us to place ads on their platform. So we can cast the net out around the internet and find interested readers for authors. And this is really cool because we can put their books on like major publications like New York Times, Forbes, CNN. And if you compare these to like the typical prices for PR, which would be around like 30,000 or higher display ads, you can run for as low as $100 a week. And yeah, you're, you're on the front page of, of these major websites. I think it's a really good opportunity. So these are the banner ads that like follow people around the internet? Yeah, yeah, we are. We will be following people around the internet. Yes. <laughs> nice. If they show interest in Book Baby, we will continue to serve them Book Baby titles to read. So I was checking out uh, J.S. Nelson's book. She's our first guest. Uh, she began writing in childhood and has just recently achieved her dream with Book Baby. She published a novel. It feels good. It's been a lifelong dream to be an author, to actually have a book published out there and actually be able to say, hey, I'm an author, you know, that's, it's exciting. <laughs> so I know this is your debut novel, but it's obviously not your first writing. So what other projects have you worked on? I did, I was involved in a writer's group when I lived back in Indiana and they had us write poems. So I did some of those. I've also written two children's books, which are being illustrated right now. I actually make that three children's books because I just finished one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've actually got uh, a couple of books in the works. So your book, Darkness Whispers, is a paranormal fantasy. Great title, by the way. Uh, you've got mystery, magic going on. But I'm curious, where do you start a book like this? How do you start? Well, this, this book in particular started after a toxic relationship. Just in, in noticing, you know, other people after I got out of it, uh, noticing other people that were involved in toxic relationships how the toxic person acted to them, how the person involved, their their mind was messed with, you know, they just spiraled downward as I did also in that relationship. And that just kind of got me thinking of, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm, I've always thought of stories. I've always had a huge wild imagination. Like I couldn't even watch horror movies when I was a kid because I couldn't sleep. <laughs> this brought up, I don't know, kind of a, a 
creature in my head that I could use for my story, the way that they got into people's heads and then, you know, sent them spiraling downwards. So that along with, I'd always seen pictures of abandoned amusement parks and that always piqued my imagination also, you know, what could go on in there, all the mystery and creepy things that could happen there. And it all just kind of came together and I started writing down scenes here and there and then it, it started forming itself into a story and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to I'm gonna go with this. <laughs> I was next going to ask about where the abandoned amusement park came from, because that's like top five terrifying settings right there. (laughs) Right. I think I saw, I think it was on Pinterest. I saw a picture of it. I was scrolling through and it stopped me and I was like, oh, that's creepy. I like it. I want to use it. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking back to the Nickelodeon show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the shows that I couldn't watch when I was a kid. They had a TV movie that was set in the abandoned amusement park and (laughs) kept me up as well. Yeah. (laughs) So how long were you writing this book? I started in 2015. I finished writing it in early 2019. And then it took about two years to find Book Baby. I I guess I was writing it for four years and then six years till it got published. So did that give you more time to reflect? You said it's all based... uh, kind of on that experience, you know, five years later, you're going to have kind of a different understanding of of, uh, the immediate aftermath of a relationship. It did. It really did. Some of the scenes I had written down uh, right after the relationship, looking back on them, you know, in the story was kind of like, did that really happen? You know what I mean? Is is someone actually able to get a hold of your mind like that? (laughs) So I'm curious what your goal was of adding the journal entries to the text. I thought that was a really interesting choice. But when I first started, I couldn't decide if I wanted to do the point of view from Lisa, the mom's perspective, or from Melina, the daughter's perspective. And then as I kept writing and kept writing, I realized that they they both had a unique perspective to it that the reader could glean a lot from. So I figured if I could somehow put both of their points of view in there, that that, that would make it more enjoyable for the reader. So the journal entries are the mothers? Yes. Okay. So what authors do you think have been most influential or inspiring to you? I think Edgar Allan Poe is probably the most. He, um, I don't know, we read, I think it was ninth grade. We read one of his stories in class and that was the first time I read Poe. And I was just, I don't know, it just got a hold of me, got a hold of my imagination. You know, it, it really stuck with me and just his, I don't know, the way that he could, he could get into the darkest parts of the human mind and soul you know, it re- like I said, it really stuck with me more than any other any other stories I'd read up to that time. Um, and since then, I've just I've read everything of his I could get hold of. So, how did you end up self publishing? You said it took two years. Were you trying to traditionally publish it at that point? I was. I queried agents through those two years. I think it was over 120 agents. The majority of them said that it wasn't a bad idea, but it was too different from anything that's been sold before. And as a first-time author, you know, it's it's too risky. They want, you know, something that will definitely sell, you know, by either an established author or in an established uh, genre. So I started looking at self-publishing because, you know, I, I'd spent all these years working on this book and I didn't want to just throw it in a drawer and forget about it and move on with life. Um, so I got a book from the library about self-publishing. I forget what it was called now, but they had several different options in there. 
And Book Baby was the only one that seemed to have like the whole package deal where the author didn't have to, you know, do anything publishing wise on that end. I could just upload it to Book Baby and they took care of all of it. <laughs> so how are you going about marketing? Are you using our marketing services for that as well? I haven't yet. We're trying to save up some money to uh, be able to pay for ads and things like that. Right now, I, uh, I'm on Goodreads, so um, I asked all my friends on Goodreads to uh, read it and rate it. Friends and family have been great. Um, they've all been reading it and posting on their social media. We've been putting out flyers. I know one of my friends has been putting flyers at airports for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was J.S. Nelson. Chad, how would you go about targeting ads for this book? Yeah, I thought this book was very interesting. The concept was uh, about a masquerader and it was a lot of sci-fi kind of things going on. So first and foremost, we're targeting people who love to read books, uh, people who would be into fantasy or paranormal horror type of things, science fictions. Uh, and I also looked up some websites that, you know, could go along with the genre of the book Creepypasta. I don't know if you've ever heard about Creepypasta, but when I was a kid, I used to read like scary, scary stories on this website. Uh, that alongside Scare Street, and uh, we can even go as general as Goodreads. I think there's no limit. That's the beauty of this program. There's no limit to where we can place this ad. So That's awesome. And there's also another great way to expand your audience, which brings us to the other service we're happy to announce today. Book Baby's now offering translation services. Our clients can now have their manuscripts professionally translated by a native speaker and a linguistics expert. Two people review each file. Uh, that, that's awesome. How many languages can we translate in? We've got 59 different languages and dialects. Uh, naturally, we've got your Spanish, French, German, but then we got Pashto, Korean, Swahili, and more. Wow, man. What, what type of projects do you think we'll get for this? You know, management's really excited about the prospect of having a service that brings back our, our back catalog around to work on their book again. Uh, but I'm really interested to see what type of manuscripts we get that are maybe handed down from grandparents and whatnot. Uh, hopefully through our translation services, we can help bring some of these stories to life. And speaking of stories, our next interview is with a horror writer who's publishing her collection of short stories with us. Her name is Nati Del Paso, and her book is called Women of Fire and Snow. Yeah, that's a really good title. Right? Both of our guests this week. Uh, Nati's short stories are mainly focused on the experiences of Mexican-American and Mexican women. I strongly recommend everyone check it out. We'll wait to listen to the whole podcast for sure, and then go check it out on Bookshop. Uh, here's Nati Del Paso talking about the themes that she wrote about. I try to finish with uh, some of my stories have, are dark or don't have happy endings, so I try to finish with one that was a little bit more uplifting, you know, and it's my favorite. So I want to start with my favorite story and also start with another one that I thought um, that I like because it is about it takes place in Snoqualmie, Washington. I've been told it's one of my strongest stories, and I feel that it's it can be uh, it's thrilling for me and for some of the people who have read it. So I, th I want to start to lead with those, but they are all related and that in all of the characters are uh, main protagonists are women, different ages that we have from teenager or from a young teenager to a 14 year old to a, a 95 year old shaman woman. And they all are at one time on one or the other side of the Mexican border. They all have Mexican heritage. Some, um, you know, one of my characters doesn't even speak uh, Spanish anymore. She's been raised in the North Pacific Northwest. 
And another of my character, you know, is an undocumented woman who's trying to figure out her life here in the United States. So they all have that theme that they talk about women and and gender violence and having different and having one step, one foot on different sides of the border. But they all are horror. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I, I was curious, I, I read the first story, Illegal Matters, uh, where the main character's father is detained by ICE. And how do you think about balancing the reality of what's happening on the border with the magical realism aspects, the supernatural aspects? Uh-huh. Well, I wish it was just on the border what's happening. But as you know, from Illegal Matters, it actually happens in Seattle. And um, the way that the way I balance with the magical realism is because sometimes, and, you know, we've heard it from other authors and from, um, you know, I, I'm blanking out his name um, from Heart of Darkness that says sometimes man can be even worse. So for me, the magical realism helps face and confront some of these issues in, in our world that happen that are, you know, that are, and that are horrible. And confronting also some of the things that might not be horrible, but that we fear, right? Like death and, um, you know, things we do not understand. Interesting that you thought of Heart of Darkness. Uh, it's Joseph Conrad. Yeah, um, Joseph Conrad. I, can't. <laughs> I was thinking of uh, Upton Sinclair and how, how he used the novel The Jungle to expose the horror of meatpacking plant in real life. Uh, do you see your book attempting to do the same, exposing the evil, the banality of evil of ice and our immigration system uh, and, and trying to explore that in a fictional setting? Uh-huh. Well, um, so I wrote down the jungle because I haven't read that one, but I really, and now I'm going to go read it. Um, I don't think I've read it since eighth grade. So. I, I do want to, ex- I feel that I do want to expose. I don't know if I'm, I don't think that ice just by itself could be called evil, but there are evil people everywhere. So, and there are certain realities that are cruel and evil and maybe unjust, or maybe we don't understand. So mostly more than than exposing, it's trying to show why would somebody come here? Why would somebody risk their life maybe to come to the border, uh, to cross the border illegally? Uh, somebody that came here legally, like I did, for example, because you know, I'm, my father was American and I was born here. But then when I was very, very young, we, I was raised and lived in Mexico until I was 38. So why, why do people come here? Why do they want to come here? What are we looking for? What do we find? How do we deal through holding on to some things? And, you know, one of my stories talks about uh, a woman fleeing violence in Mexico only to find it here uh, in a shooter, right? When she's, there's a shooting in a mall, a random shooting. So it's just um, trying, it's, I don't know, it's if I'm exposing anything, just showing it and trying to explain what do the people that are behind that feel, just remembering they're human beings because it's really easy to think of the other. So it's more like, who is this person? Why did they come? And why do some people do some good things? And why do some people do bad things? And why do we have that dark side, right? And sometimes some of the, our dark side can be so horrible that that's where the magic realism and the horror comes in because it gives us a way to, 
confront it. I'm curious what sort of response you've gotten from the Mexican-American and Mexican communities. Uh -huh. Well, um, for some, uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just about to launch it. So now as I've been spreading the word, I've gotten a lot of support, um, especially because I've tried it because one of my, my last story talks about the problem of femicide in Mexico. I decided I'm tying all my pre-sales to a fundraiser for an organization in Mexico that works against femicide. And so it's, it's a real problem that, you know, in Mexico, there's so many great people that are working on this and they're doing it through art by bringing awareness through dance, through theater, through movies, through television series and through writing. So there's a lot of people doing that um, there. And I've started and people have been reaching out to me from here in the United States, women and other authors that are also concerned with this problem been working on this. So it's not that I'm unique, but I've tied it to that. And, uh, and I'm hoping that, um, you know, to that, to bring awareness and to be able to, as I've told people, you know, what I'm doing and how the story's ties within. I've gotten a really good response. I've also had a lot of support from a lot of friends that I have that are undocumented and that I know. And um, it just, I feel, you know, some of them have told me like, thank you. Like I feel because I've given them the book and pre, you know, in advance because they, you know, they, I've been inspired by their stories. They're friends of mine. And they've told me, thank you. I love being able to read about somebody to have to go through something similar to what I went through, but it's also terrifying. And some people have told me, you know, uh, I don't like reading scary stuff, or I don't like reading things, you know, things about difficult issues. And I completely get it. I respect that. There's things that I don't like to read. You know, I don't like to look at some of them, watch some of the movies my husband likes to watch, like the Marvel adventure movies. Sorry, I don't like them. So he can watch them on his own, and I'm I'm fine with that. But yeah, so far the response has been positive. That's great to hear. So your your book is in English. I'm curious if you. Uh, I would imagine you don't need to use our translation services, which we just <laughs> launched this month. Uh, have you considered releasing it in Spanish? I have. I have actually. At first, I was so I. I I was wondering um, if it would even have that enough, you know, would have that appeal. One of the things that I when that I do know is that people in Mexico don't worry so much about the people that are here. Um, it's because, you know, we I, I felt that like, OK, you left. Right. You left to go find a better life or whatever. Um, it's it doesn't. There's people seem to be focused, like we need to focus on our problems here and what we're going here. And I do talk a lot about the life in the United States, but I have found that curiosity because I'm really not talking about Mexico. Only one of my stories, the last one is centered, happens in Mexico, but um, the main character, she's a young journalist who just graduated from the School of Journalism at UW Seattle in Washington. And she flies to Mexico because her cousin has been murdered. And, is, and that's when she starts to um, become aware of femicide in Mexico. And she starts researching and realizes it's, it's a problem worldwide. We have that problem in the United States, where especially 
if you look at Native American women and the rate of violence and disappearance and murder of uh, Native American women and women of color, it is horrific. And that when you look at one in four women in the United States are, are going to be victims of sexual assault. That's not sexual harassment. When I was reading this, when I was reading my, I'm like, oh my God, I, you know, we tend to think that it's something that happens there. So, you know, I, I do want to translate it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm still waiting to see if there's that interest to across. And so far, it seems like there is. The other thing is that Almost every in Mexico, everybody speaks English. Everybody really works. You know, it's the it's the language of commerce. It's the language. It's become the language of art. And anybody who wants to make it knows to speak English. And it's funny. I have a lot of friends. I even have a nephew who writes in English, and he lives in Mexico. He's never been out of Mexico. You know, lived outside of Mexico. Lived in Mexico City all his life. He's a young man and he writes in English. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to see if because if people start telling me, hey, I prefer to read in Spanish, would prefer to read in this. I'm fine. But um, I think it's it's more a picture of what is of the United what's uh, the immigrant in the United States, what it is when you're mixed. You know, when you feel you don't belong neither here nor there, you know, here you're a Latinx, there you're the gringa. So you're like, who am I? It's a little bit of that trying to find where I fit in and how you embrace all the good things that both cultures can give you. Right. And we also have our dark sides on both. And how can we learn to to overcome them, I guess? So have you written any books in Spanish? Uh, I uh, not books. I did. I used to write a lot of articles when I lived in Mexico. And then once I moved here, I was I worked for I would write articles for the newspaper in Reno, Nevada, where I lived. And then there was a Latino journal that was the name's Aura. And so I would write I would do both bilingual articles because um, actually I had to learn how to write in English before I start to write. I was very nervous and very, I was like, no, I don't know if I can write in English. Actually, when I, I did a master's here and I was so afraid because I didn't know how to, you know, I, all the different way they, we write in the United States, the language is so much more concise and in shorter sentences. So my husband, who's a lawyer, he would say, you run, you write like a Mexican with long runoff sentences. So the first thing I did was, learn how to write in English, learn the grammar, et cetera. And then I wrote my stories and then I had them edited. And then thank God my editor said, you know what? You need to learn. You need to take some creative writing classes. And she was right. I really didn't know the craft. So it took me about, it took me a couple of more than a couple of years and I'm still studying, but to actually learn how to structure a story, how, you know, it's not just, having good grammar or having a grasp of the language, but how to pacing, character development. You know, I went through, I think, what every beginning writer does. You know, first you have idealized versions of characters that, you know, nobody likes because they're like so perfect and all the things we all go through. So through that process. And then, you know, that's when I, and this is the first time I've self-published or been published, uh, published a book. 
as somebody who only speaks English, I've always been really fascinated by that idea that the language itself is going to be structured differently and how it kind of shapes the ideas that you even can have. Uh, so I'm curious, how, do you find it really different writing in Spanish versus English? Yes. Uh, is your process different at all? Yes, completely. And what I've found is that I found that now it's harder for me to switch. So it's really if, if I'm if I'm only right now, I'm listening mostly to audiobooks in English. I have a very long commute to the university. So I listen to a lot of audiobooks and a lot of podcasts. Thank you for your podcast. Yours and Hidden Brain, those are my favorite. And, you know, and I'll listen to the, the one about the there's others for writers that I listen to. And I, if I'm reading a lot, if I'm reading in English and writing in English and watching television in English, it's really hard for me to switch into Spanish. And then, for example, I'll be with my kids and we'll watch a movie in Spanish because they'll come for Thanksgiving. And, you know, or I'll be we'll be talking to my cousins in Mexico over Zoom in Spanish and I'll read a book in Spanish and then it gets harder to switch. But, yeah, I feel I feel that. As I've developed my writing as a horror writer, which I embrace now, um, I only see I can see myself writing it in English and then translating it, but not really creating it in Spanish. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is if you were kind of formulating the thoughts in your head in English versus Spanish. I remember being told uh, after like four years of German class that like that's the trick, like that's the moment when you know, okay, I actually know this language. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I sometimes feel that if you really want to learn a language, you have you really do have to immerse yourself. The same way when you're going to write, you immerse yourself in all the themes, you know, of everything. What am I going to talk about? You know, what is, you know, I look at some of the pre-Hispanic mythology, too, and some of the native mythology, because I live on the land of the Snoqualmie tribe. So what are some of their legends? What are some of their beliefs and some of their their stories and their myths? And how can I tie them on into the to what I'm writing about and bring in some of the, the you know, the Mexican. If you look at some of the, the Aztecs or the Mexicas culture and uh, also some of the Maya, there's some really horrifying stuff there, which is. You know, the, and the way Mexicans look at death, just look at Day of the Dead. And um, there's a lot there to be explored, the different demons. And uh, for I find it fascinating how um, you can tie it in and it, and it can bring a really a different quality of horror. Yeah, absolutely. Are, are there any specific authors who influenced your writing? Oh, yeah. Um, well, for example, right now, and I've been, I fell in love with Stephen Graham Jones. Oh, his books. I just love his horror stories. Uh, I just, I'm going to start the newest one right now. My heart's a chainsaw, but he, uh, he ties in a lot of his Native American heritage into the stories without being that magical, you know, but really the, the raw and the, the, I guess the dark side too, that we all bring the shadow side. So I just really enjoy reading him. I've been reading Silvia Moreno Garcia, which I find her really fun because she has a lot of the Mexican, she's a Mexican, she lives in Canada, but she's of Mexican heritage. 
and writes in English. And so I find a lot of enjoyment of her books. But, you know, there's there's a lot of I, I read a lot. I just um, from all kinds of horror. And of course, I was my first favorite one was Stephen King when I started getting more into the English. But I was, you know, my they started me at eight with Edgar Allan Poe. And then my father, I remember reading The Exorcist. I was hiding and reading The Exorcist when I was 11 years old with my sister and then having, you know, nightmares and terrors forever because we were super Catholic. So it was very, very scary. And uh, maybe that's what got me into psychology to heal all those traumas from scaring myself. But yeah, I think right. What some of the influences I would say, I, I you know, I, I love Stephen King, but what I love about him is how he gets into the characters' heads, the monologues, the internal monologues, like of the parents, like going into that when he's. What really struck a chord with me is how he goes into a purpose, and you can really see the thoughts unfiltered, and how a mom can say like, yeah, I wish it could just stop the car and leave, you know, at the side of the road, which you're never going to do, but to be able to see those dark thoughts that we have and then to somehow make them materialize in horror, they materialize sometimes as something exterior, right? A demon, a monster. And that was Nadia Del Paso. You can find more about her on NadiaDelPaso.com and can buy her book, Women of Fire and Snow, on Bookshop Now, along with thousands of other independently published horror books and get ready for Halloween. Do you have a costume yet? I don't. I think I'm more likely to get a costume for my pup, though. <laughs> what about you? I'm not really one for costumes, but I always get a kick out of the creative things that, that these people put on these days. One man who has dealt with horror in one way or the other is our VP of Operations, Joel Maxey. Joel has been with Book Baby and our parent company DIY Media for 29 years and was able to take some time out of his busy day to chat with me. Joel, how's the print shop looking? It's looking great. Uh, we finally completed construction on our new print cell. Uh, it is fully up and operational. It's about a $3 million investment. Um, nice, big, bright windows. Happy place to be. And that's where the offices used to be? That's where the offices used to be. Yeah, there's a lot of excited employees that they're not, a, you know, they're in a nice bright room with a good work environment. And you can never get us back into the office now. <laughs> We're figuring uh, that out too. <laughs> so are we operating at max capacity, would you say? Yes, we are actually. We, uh, I, I mean, we have capacity, but uh, we have with the investment, um, we are up to five HP Indigo presses. We have three um, binding lines puts the uh, cover on the book block and two hard casing. So how much has that capacity improved since last year? We've actually effectively doubled the capacity oh, wow. that we had at this time last year. That's awesome. And how's staffing looking to, to keep those machines running? Staffing is great. We've, uh, we probably have about 55 people in the print operations at this point. And all and operating safely. Going, all operating safely. We're doing uh, uh, 24, five, shifts on the presses so we do have some capacity over the weekends if we need it our peak season coming up i know broken supply chains are all over the news these days and how are we looking do we have the raw materials necessary to keep making books we do i can't say that it's not a, a dogfight every day to get get supply but luckily uh we are in great shape with our paper inventory we've always uh purchased from american mills 
So a lot of what you hear about in the news with the paper being hard to get is because it's coming from China and Europe and it's stuck on containers. So one of the merchants we use actually has about 200 tons just sitting on ships. Wow. That they can't get in. But luckily uh, we've had the mill reps in here over the past few months and they've assured us the supply through the end of the year. We're looking good for the beginning of the year. We already have our orders way out. So, and we're in great shape because we're predictable. So a lot of your commercial printers buy certain, you know, different types of paper, their spec to the jobs. We actually offer three different choices and, you know, we can bump those orders up. Okay. So if I'm getting this right, the, the customization of the book itself is kind of irrelevant for you. It's just the raw it's product. Trim size. Exactly. So the trim sizes are different, right? Everything, everything, the content's always different, but the paper is, is pretty consistent. That's great. That's good to hear. So what message would you have then for a prospective author here in October, 2021? Get your orders in. It's a great time to release your book and we have the capacity to make them. Get your orders in. You heard it from our very own VP of operations, Joel Maxey. Thanks go out to Joel for jumping on the podcast, as well as to our other guests, J.S. Nelson and Nadi Del Paso. Their books and thousands of others independently published books can be found at store.bookbaby.com. If you're interested in publishing with BookBaby, we want to hear from you. Our staff is standing by at 877-961-6878 or info at bookbaby.com. Thanks go out to all of our guests this season. If you haven't listened, be sure to check out our back catalog. There are some great interviews in there. And we'll be back in the new year with more episodes of the Book Baby Spotlight. So be sure to subscribe, follow, rate, share, like this Book Baby Spotlight podcast on whatever platform you're on. Chad, any final thoughts? I just want to re-emphasize the importance of the Display Ads program. This is a very unique opportunity for authors to get their books in front of millions of people that otherwise would not be able to see it. So I'm just urging you guys, please, please order your ads today. All right. And until next year, stay safe, everyone. <laughs>